I'm glad you're here this morning. Let's look at Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. I think it's page 1,438 in your pew Bible. Uh, I was sitting there thinking, this is something special today. Uh, We get to participate in a meal that Jesus gave His disciples 2,000 years ago as a way to remember Him. I'm glad you're here. I wish I could just be quiet and let's just ponder what this means. And we're going to do that. We're going to talk about Jonah's anger and God's love. And we ought to talk, and we're going to talk about God's anger and Jesus' love. And I hope that as we talk about it, you'll see your heart and you'll see God's grace and his love to you, and that it will change us by being here this morning, make us a little bit more like Jesus. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Now, back up for a minute. Uh, Last week, God told Jonah, you know, the the story about Jonah is not just a man who was swallowed by a fish. Jonah, God told Jonah to go to Tarshish and go to Nineveh, and he went the other way to Tarshish, and he fell in the bottom. They threw him overboard. He was swallowed by the fish. Fish spit him out, and God goes to him a second time. And says, I want you to go back to Nineveh, and I want you to one man with five words. And he went back, and Jonah, and this is what happened. The people repented. They had this great revival. I don't know how they did it without Southern Baptists being there, not being there. Man, his big revival. And uh, all these people came to know the true God. And God starts to have a conversation with Jonah because look at what happens to Jonah. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry because God saved all the people of Nineveh. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I, I was yet in my country? That's why I hurried and made haste to flee to go to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to live than to die. The Lord said, Why are you angry? Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, and made a little booth for himself there. He sat under under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah's having a little pity party. You ever had one? (laughs) But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I, I, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, You pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? Isn't it okay, Jonah, for me to show grace? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. 
And that's the end of the book of Jonah. It's one of the weirdest books in the Bible because it just ends with God says, this is the, are you mad? Now, I want us to talk about this morning. Uh, I told you uh, last week that I've, I drive a, I drive for a, a non-emergency medical transportation company. I carry people all over the place. I went to Florence Monday and I took a, um, is a Muslim lady uh, home the other day and had a great conversation with her about Christ. I was out uh, on the way to Florence the other day and I saw a little sign at the gas station out in the country. It said, anger is only one letter away from danger. Now I want you to think about something this morning. Last week we saw that Jonah obeys God. He goes back to Nineveh and God gives them a message and they all listen. They, re they repented, they turned to the one true God, and Jonah gets crazy mad. Uh, Jonah is so mad that he could just die. you got to think, well, what's going on with Jonah? It's a strange ending. The book of Jonah doesn't say, and they live happily ever after. It just ends. And it's supposed to get us to think and to see our own hearts. What I thought about this preparing this week. I said, what would happen if uh, me and Jonathan, Jonathan went out of the church door, he went that way through Clover, and I went that way through Clover, and we started to say, repent. God loves you, and he wants you to repent. And what if they all listened, and what if, Sunday, this Sunday morning, uh, the, the place was full. There's nobody in the balcony this morning. But what if we came back next Sunday and the sides were full, the choir was full, the balcony was full, and the deacons had to put out chairs in the aisle because everybody said, we heard God and we're going to repent and we want to come and be a part of this church and love Christ but what if me and Jonathan came back in here and flipped the communion table over and threw the offering plates like Frisbee and said, what in the world is going on? I'm so angry. I cannot believe that this is happening. What are you doing, God? I'm so mad. Why don't you just kill? What would you do to Jonathan? I'd run because you're not going to get me. I'm faster than him. What would you do? That's what Jonah does. And I want you to see something in your heart about your, uh, about your heart. I want you to see about God's heart. Why is Jonah so angry? Well, look at chapter 4, verse 2. gives us a clue. Jonah, pr or Jonah prayed to the Lord. He said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarsus. I knew you were gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from... Here's what Jonah's saying. Jonah's saying, I don't understand how your love operates. I don't understand you, God. God, I don't know how your grace operates. And so, God tries to show him a little bit of his own heart and his heart. Have you ever gotten so angry you could just spit nails Y'all are nice looking people, but I know, I know because I am one, 
I know that sometimes I can get so angry, I could just... Why do we do that? Why do we do that? What does this story have to do with us? In our anger, we fall apart, we collapse, or we we don't spit nails, we just kind of get into this... Why am I the only person in the world that this ever happens to? Poor little me. And we're like Jonah. He sits under a little tree and he has this little pity party. And we don't, and see, down at the root of it, we don't understand our own hearts. We don't understand our own hearts. Jonah's life depended on the patient love of God and so does ours. And so there's two things to look at this morning. Number one, what do we learn from Jonah's anger? And this is the first thing we learn from Jonah's anger. Jonah chapter 4 teaches us that Christians can fall back into old patterns of sin and self-deception. Christians can fall back into old patterns of sin and self-deception. Bible students that study Jonah, it drives them crazy because is Jonah saved? Is he not saved? God saved all these people when he went and gave the message of, that God told him, and, and, God, and he just goes ballistic. What's wrong with him? Have you seen the Snickers commercial on TV? There's a Snickers commercial, and uh, this, this man, he's a biker. He's got long black hair. He's got a beard and a leather, and, he, and he's just like grouse, and he just right back. But they give him a Snickers bar, and he turns into Marsha Brady on the Brady Bunch. You seen that commercial? <laughs> Well, remember, that's what happens to Jonah. And, but listen, if I ask you, who's the main character in the book of Jonah? The answer is not Jonah. And when Mark gets here, I'm going to tell him to ask you, what's, who's the main character in every story of the Bible? And it's not Matthew, and it's not Zacchaeus. And it's not Moses. Every story in the Bible, the main character is God. And so I tell you that because we need to know before we take communion about the patient love of God. Because some of you here this morning, and you're here because I gotta go, I gotta go do the right thing, and I gotta do communion because that's what good Christians do. And you've missed the point. We expect Jonah to say, I'll never do that again. You know, he, he ran from God. And we think, well, if I got swallowed by a fish and he spit me back out, I would never do that again. But listen, Jonah does it again. And you'll do it again. And you'll drift away from God. Because listen, Jonah teaches us that Christians can fall back into old patterns of sin and self-deception. And God says to us, You're just like Jonah. And it's okay because I still love you. Jonah says, maybe thinks, I'll never do that again, but we do. And you see, we we misunderstand what it means to be a Christian. We misunderstand what it means to be a Christian because we think sometimes, well, now that I'm a Christian... Now that I profess my faith in Christ and I follow Him, I won't ever struggle with anything else again. That's not true. And let me put you at ease this morning. And I'll tell you what, I thought I'd be a lot better by now. I'm 54, my hair's white, I'm ordained, and quite honestly, I thought I should be a lot better. I should be a lot better than this by now. But I still struggle with stuff. 
And the second thing is that non-Christians, they think, well, you're born again, you say you follow Christ, and you ought to be much better than that. And that's not true either. Because the idea is that a Christian is somebody that's a lot better than everybody else. Now, little parentheses, it's true that over time, Christians should sin less and love people more. But listen, by definition, a Christian is no better than anybody else. You're no better than Joe that's out there cutting his grass this morning who don't he doesn't care a flying flip. You're no better than him. I'm no better than him. Second lesson. We see the open heart of Jonah. Jonah was a real man. This is not a myth. This is not a myth. This is not a fairy tale. Jonah was a real man. He really struggled. He ran from God. God called him back. He went and preached the, to the Ninevites. And then he went ballistic, he went crazy again with his anger. And you see, how do we know when, when they put the Bible together, they put Jonah's struggle out there for everybody to see. How would you like to be Jonah? How would you like to be Jonah and have all your sin put out there for the world to read from here from now to eternity? But we know the Bible's true because we know Jonah's true. And so what do we learn from our own hearts? What do we learn from our own hearts so that we can see our own hearts? See, unbelievers and believers, we need to see our own heart. We need to see the main character is who? God. And we need to see his patient love. What do we learn through the struggle about Jonah? Number one, Christians are no, we're no better than other people. I, I really want you to get that. You can, you can go to sleep now. We are no better than anybody else. And second thing, we're not stronger than anybody else. We're no stronger than other people. But they are strong. A Christian is strong enough to admit his weakness. I tell you what, uh, we've, I've got four children. They follow Christ. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know how. Because I, I think I, the only thing that I can put my finger on is that when me and my wife would mess up and get angry at them or hurt them or say something or they would see something that I would do. I remember Jonathan coming one time. His little, he was like four. His little lip was quivering. He said, Dad, you're not supposed to do that. I don't know what he saw. I'm not going to tell you what he saw me do because I don't remember. But I said, I saw what it did to him. I said, Buddy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. If I had said to Jonathan when he saw what I did, if I said, you just, you just do what I say, you don't do what I do. I think he'd have just turned and said, that's just a bunch of bull. That's just a bunch of hypocrisy. And see, we're no stronger than anybody else, but if we're strong enough to admit that we're weak, that's what a Christian is. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, is the language of struggle. To be a Christian is to admit to other people, I am so weak. I am so weak. 
my wife called me on something last night. We'd gone to the Carolina football game. We came home, and I was roaming through the house without lights on, and I hit my foot on the dryer. And Lord, forgive me, I said a bad word. It just, boop! I thought, where in the world did that come from? I got to preach tomorrow. And it just, she said, and I know I'm in trouble when she says my first and my last name, like your mom did when you were growing up. She said, David Stover. I thought, you know what? I could have said something worse. Lord, I am so weak. I need you to clean my heart up right now and, don't, and just change my heart so I don't say stupid stuff like that. You see, that's when the Holy Spirit works. When you admit that you're, that you're weak, now, I don't know what your struggle is. I'll bet nobody around you knows. Your spouse might not even know. But listen, if you can admit to somebody else that, you're weak, that you have a weakness, that's when God starts to work. If you're stubborn and you stand there and you say, I don't have a problem, if you ignore it, or if you worse, you say, I can do this by myself, you don't, you don't need this. This is what it was for. Do you hear me? This is for our weaknesses. And until we can come, this is not just a little thing to go through to check a box and say, when you get to heaven, God says, Barry, here's a, I, did, I took communion every time they had it. You don't understand it. But when we come and say, this, this meal where his body was broken and his blood was shed, that is my only hope. That's when you become strong. That's when we become strong. One more thing. It's possible for Christians to fall back into old patterns of sin. But God doesn't leave us there and Scripture doesn't leave us there. When we admit our weakness, when we turn to Christ because He's put His Spirit into our hearts, and there's two realities that you need to understand. Number one is that I still sin. But number two... I'm legally new. I'm a new person. When God looks down from heaven at me, He doesn't see all my junk. He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. When you, uh, when you plant a seed, let's say you want to go plant, a, plant an apple tree. You plant an apple seed. You don't automatically have a full-grown tree. It takes time. But when the seed's planted, when it's nurtured and it's watered, it grows. And that's the same truth that happens in your heart. I took a girl from uh, Rock Hill over to the other side of the middle of nowhere. On the way there, and folks, I, I know I'm in a good place because on these two-hour trips to the middle of nowhere, people start to tell me their story. This girl said, I've been addicted, I'm addicted to methamphetamines and all this kind of stuff. And she, she, and she said, but I, just, I, I just try to tell God I'm sorry and try to turn over a new leaf. I try to do better and I try to do this and I try to do that. And I, and I just started saying, I know why I'm here. Because she's saying, I got to do this and I got to do that. And I said, well, listen. If you will get this seed of the gospel planted into your heart, this is what will really only ever help you. 
I said, do you understand that when you became a Christian, God adopted you into his family? I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you slept with. Now, I'm talking to you. I don't care what you smoked. I don't care what you did. When, if you have trusted Christ, if God has saved you, He's planted a seed inside of you that's going to grow. I said to this girl, I said, do you understand that when you were adopted into God's family, He set His heart on you, and I don't know when it's going to happen, but He's going to bring you through this life. Do you understand that? It's like a sprig of grass growing up. You see, that's only what's going to change us. And I find myself talking, when I, when I blow it, I start, oh man, i got to try harder not to do that anymore. i got to turn over a new leaf. i got to pull myself up by my boots. And I, that is futile. That will turn your hair gray. I know. But listen, if you'll understand about the gospel and the cross is that when we come and see that because of what Jesus did, we're adopted into his family. We belong to him illegally. Legally. It changes us. It changes us. How can God's number one was what do we learn from God's anger? What do we learn from Jonah's anger? We learn we're just like him. We are just like Jonah. We struggle with stuff. And when we're weak, when we can, when we can confess and when we, that we can admit that we're weak and come to the gospel, that's when God changes us. How can God's patient love be more at work in us? What do I do if I find myself sliding back into old sin like Jonah? Four things. Number one, examine your heart. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. Chapter 4, verse 4. God said to Jonah, you, why are you angry? Why are you angry? See, God wants him to get down to his motives. Anger is, is one letter away from danger. That's why I had Jonathan read a Genesis chapter 4, or verses 1 through 11. If there's fear or worry, impatience or anger or criticism, and, or you can't take any criticism, if that stuff makes you angry, you've got a heart issue. Examine, stop and say, why am I so angry? Number two, confess your sin. I'm going to put a little sign on my car. By the way, I come through Clover a lot. I come right through these streets. I'm going to put a little sign on my car, put confessional booth. <laughs> when people get in my car and I take it, they just start confessing all this stuff. And I think, did you know I'm a pastor? I look in my room, do you know who you're talking to? I give them my card sometimes. Hey, let me know if I can help you. Confess your sin. To, not, to God, but to somebody else. Jonah confessed. How do we know? He must have told somebody or we wouldn't have all this stuff recorded in a book, right? God came to Cain and he said, after he killed his brother, he said, Cain, why is your face down? Why is your face down? Cain said, well, my goody two-shoes brother, he brought the right sacrifice. And, you know, he should have, 
Cain should have confessed his sin. He could have just said, God, I'm so angry right now. I'm so sorry I killed my brother. You see, it might have saved Abel's life, but when we can't, when you name the beast, when you name the beast, when you call it pride, and when you call it anger, and when you call it self-pity, it might save somebody else's life. It might save your spouse's life, or it might save your, your, your son or daughter's life. Jonah confessed his sin. He named it. And number three, realize... I'm trying to hustle. I know we got to do communion, but it's okay. The restaurants will still be open when we're done. Number three, realize God's patient love will keep you out of despair. Do you understand that God is so patient with us? God is so patient with you. Does your own conscience ever condemn you? You disobey, you do something stupid, and that little voice out of the middle of nowhere comes and says, you call yourself a Christian? He got me in the, last night in the house. I said, bloop, this bad word. And he said, are you really a preacher? Preachers don't say stuff like that. Do you really think that God's going to hear you when you pray? Do you really think God's going to do anything tomorrow when you stand up and preach after what you just said when you hit your toe on the washer? Has that ever happened to you or is it just me? It's that little voice that when you blow it, you can hear that little evil laugh. (laughs) You're a Christian and you do that? You know why that happens? We don't realize how how patient God is with us. We don't realize how patient God is with us. It probably came from a parent or someone significant. Or sometimes, how many times do do you ever hear God say this? How many times do I have to tell you don't do that? That's not the voice of God. Or when you blow it, you hear God say, what in the world were you thinking? That's not God. God comes to us in the gospel And he says, look, I still love you. I'm patient with you. I'm not going to strike you dead because I've already done that to my son. God doesn't say those things. God doesn't give up on us. Last thing. You got to see more of God's patient love in your life. You examine your heart. You confess your own sin. But you treasure Christ. You treasure Christ. Christ. Last night, we went to the Carolina football game. I'm a huge Carolina fan. I was there when George Rogers won the Heisman in 1980. And we got to the stadium yesterday, and there's this long line over by the statue of George Rogers, and I look down, and there's George Rogers. Come on. He's, he's my hero. He's one of my heroes. So I saw a little sign that says, get your picture made with George Rogers and the Heisman. So I, got, I said, Em, we got to do this. I said, this, we can put it on Facebook and everybody will say, how cool is that? So we got in line and we got closer to him. Well, we got up to him and uh, he's got his Heisman trophy. And folks, that thing is heavy. I'll put it on Facebook and y'all can see it after church, okay? Um, but I'm holding the Heisman trophy and there's George Rogers and there's my wife. And George Rogers says, you hold my trophy and I'll hold your trophy. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so we got our picture made. I handed him the trophy back. We went on up to our seats, and we got, and we got to our seats. And about, Emily told me I could tell you this. Uh, she said, how did George Rogers know you won a state championship in basketball? She, how did he know you had a trophy? What was he talking about? I said, no, sweetie. He said, you hold my trophy and I'll hold your trophy. He's talking about you. And she goes, oh! (laughs) And on the way home last night, I thought, that's the way we are. That is the way that we are. We come to Jesus and we go through the motions and we sing these songs and He's our trophy. And in some ways, He loves us so much that we are His trophy. He loves us. Why would He give His life for us? And we go through life and we try to do better on our own, but Jesus is saying... I'm your trophy. I'm your trophy. Will you do that this week? Will you remember that Christ is your trophy and He loves us so much that His love ought to change our life and that's the only thing that will change our life because when we see what He did for us, we're His trophy. That's what we celebrate this morning. Let's bow together and pray. Lord Jesus, it, 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 it's humbling to look at a little piece of bread and a little glass of wine, but call us to remember. Help us to treasure Christ. When we treasure Christ, when we see what he did for us, when we see that you are never, ever, 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 ever going to be angry at me again because you punished Christ for my sin. Help me treasure you. Thank you for the gospel. Change us with the gospel. In your name we pray.